Before Mother's Day, I'd uh, spoken for two weeks on the love of God, trying to understand it better, and what agape means. And agape means other-centered love. It's really what it is. It's the essence and DNA of who God is. So I found some quotes from Malcolm Smith. And now, not everybody knows who Malcolm is, but if you've grown up in the journey of grace at all, uh, you'll probably have heard of him because he's one of the, I would say, one of the forefathers of teaching this effectively, like really well. I've got this book on my shelf upstairs. This one I don't have. But there's some quotes from The Lost Secret that I want to share with you on the love of God because I want to expand our understanding. Maybe one of the statements is going to uh, kind of stick and go, whoa, I didn't see it like that. Uh, and it's also making the point. It's going to be somewhat repetitious, but instead of having a devotion, I want to read some quotes that uh, have come from somebody who's, I think, really sees and knows the love of God in a profound way. One of his quotes is, he set his love upon us before we were born, and therefore, with no reference to our behavior or works, whether they were good or evil. So this is like God loved you before you're born. And I know my upbringing, not everyone here for sure, but my upbringing has been greatly exposed to if you're good, God will bless you. If you're bad, you're cursed. Or God's away from you. He can't handle sin. Uh, that whole mindset. So this, this, there's a lot of repetition on that theme that I think you're going to like. Agape is not wakened or created by the beauty of its object but arises spontaneously from the heart of God. It is therefore a love that cannot be earned or deserved. His love for us originates in who he is, not our being lovable. We still think we can contribute. We do. In some small ways, we think we can add to the love of God or get an extra edge, get a bit more. Not possible. I've loved you with an everlasting love. In Jeremiah 31.3, an everlasting love is unconditional love. We, we really don't think through what that word unconditional means. Not enough. And if you just ponder, meditate on that alone, oh my goodness, it should blow your socks off. It should. The declarations and promises of God's forgiveness in the Old Testament sprang from the heart of the God who is everlasting, unconditional love. Did you catch that? Who is everlasting, unconditional love. He did not begin to be a loving and forgiving God after Jesus died. <laughs> I know we take a look at the cross a lot and say, well, everything changed at the cross. And things did change. But <laughs> God was forgiving before the cross. Do you realize that? God was forgiving before the cross. The cross was not required in order to perpetuate forgiveness. Is it wrapped up in there? Yes. But it was not required for forgiveness to happen. Much more happened at the cross, and one of the benefits is experiencing our forgiveness in a very radical way. His covenant love is greater than the covenant it explains when the human breaks covenant that his heart of loving kindness still reaches after them and will not let them go. So this whole idea of covenant, we have the Old and New Testament. Um, in there we see the comparison of Old Covenant, New Covenant. The Old Covenant was a system of rules you had to follow. Um, and if you didn't, you had to 
go do sacrifices and get forgiven. And again, it was only once a year where it really happened. And then you had a clean slate for about 20 seconds. And then you had to wait a whole another year if you messed up in, those, in that little bit. Like, honestly, the whole covenant thing, you break one of those rules, you broke them all. So this was a, a I think it was a setup to show us it's impossible to keep those rules. God never intended to create us so we follow rules. He created us for relationships. And so we can really get that mixed up. You were conceived into the love of God in the womb. You were birthed into the arms of his love. You are the object of his love here and now simply because you exist. Somebody may need to hear that today. You are deeply loved. We don't hear enough about it. In fact, um, there was a TV show that uh, told people they were loved by God more than church did. Anybody know what that show is called? Touched by an Angel. God loves you. They did. Don't make a face at me for that. That's true. Every once in a while, that little halo light came on, and, and the message would be from those angels, God loves you all the time. And the church kind of said, well, God loves you if you do this or if you maintain. That's not it. It's just funny that a TV show would do that. Now, it doesn't mean the TV show was wonderful and really, you know, well-written. It's just, I just remember that. I liked it as a kid. So anyway, he loves you not only because you are here, but also you are here because he loved you into existence Every one of us are loved into existence. None of us are a mistake. Preaching the gospel, we are announcing the news of the revelation of who God is and how he feels about us. Hang on a sec. Preaching the gospel, we are announcing the news of the revelation of who God is and how he feels about us. Think about that for a minute. We stand on the street corners of the world shouting the news that God is not the way we thought he was. He loves us. This is the greatest news in the world. The declaration is not that, (coughs) um, you know, you're sinful and separated from God, and if you say a prayer, then you get to avoid hell, and now you have to follow all of our rules too. That's, That's what you hear street preachers do. I was at a funeral recently where that was the message shared. It's like, oh my goodness. It's like hellfire and brimstone, all that, all that stuff that uh, hinders and skews our perspective of who God is, and God is love. Jesus came to reveal the Father. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, but that, this is a really big quote. The gospel declares the incredible news that our relationship to God is not based on if and then, but on because and therefore. Think about that. Not all these quotes are going to hit you. I know that, but some will. He makes the covenant not to create loving kindness, but in order that we might see that his heart is loving kindness from eternity. Ponder that. A couple more, we're almost done. Not the message, of course, but, well, we could, but. (laughs) All of our whining that he could not love us does not stop him from loving us. Now, I love that quote because um, some of us are going to make a list of why we're not lovable by God, but if you're doing that, you're also doing it to people around you. Why you're not lovable by people around you. 
It's a skewed image of your perspective on who God is. That's where that's coming from. And then it, the fruit of that is shown in, in your connections here, your relationships with one another. So if, if we can change our concept of who God is, um, then, hey, then let's, let's try and uh, uh, change. If, if, if change is that much, then we can move on and become that love and love others more in an accepting way. It's a shock to many who would settle for a life of serving God that above all else, he fervently desires our friendship. He desires us infinitely more than we desire him. That's hard to believe if you've grown up in religion. The love of God is the magnetic north of truth by which we fix our position. We stumble lost in the wilderness of the world. To know that his love for us depends on him and not on us is the beginning of the way out of our futile, meaningless lives and religious despair. One last one. While we are in a frenzy of doing for him, we are in grave danger of missing the whole point of the gospel, which is being with him. He has many servants but few friends. I know I grew up hearing you, you were, you know, saved to serve. <laughs> that phrase, you know, and, and how you serve. You're earning jewels on your heavenly crown. And they forgot to tell you, take it off anyway and lay it at his feet. But anyway, besides that, the whole idea of serving, serving, serving. And some people, they get their, their needs met from the acclamations of others around them. And if that's threatened, that's when church nastiness happens. That's when the rules get all crazy, and that's when people jockey for position. I've been in this church for 100 years. Yeah, I know, I can tell. But the whole point of it is, if you serve, 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 and it's just about the doing, look what I have done, guess where the focus is? It's not on Jesus. So what does this others-centered love look like? Let's recap from two weeks ago. God is love. It's not an app, okay? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That one is really important to be reminded that if we have a sense of fear or are afraid of God for some reason, or if we're sending a message that's fearful and condemning, that's not God. That's not the love of God. We love because he first loved us. We live in response to it. Again, Paul Anderson Walsh, he said, you know, we are responsible or response-able, <laughs> able to respond And I love that image. And then from Psalm 145, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Romans, it says, do do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Not scare the hell out of you. We've done that. Hope Fellowship doesn't because we've grown a lot. We see it, but there's still a whole community of believers that still use tactics of fear and it's sad. It breaks my heart. And so to find a more loving way to communicate as the Holy Spirit leads, you know, we don't get in their face and, and yell at them. That, that, does, that defeats the purpose. That's not loving. But when the relationship allows for opportunity to communicate, then we communicate when they ask. Matthew 17, 5. I love this. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now I'm going to show this to you from a number of translations because I'm focusing on the word beloved. 
I want us to really zoom in on that because I think this is, this is going to hit home. In the New Living Translation, it says, even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Now, can you connect the quotes I just read from Malcolm Smith to this? This would be the same thing God would say about you. Well, that, that, that can become quite uncomfortable right away because we think we know ourselves. We think we can, but this is, God says he's, we're dearly loved. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well, ple- <coughs> well pleased. Listen to him. All right, next one from the message. We have two more. While he was going on like this, babbling, <laughs> a light radiant cloud enveloped them and, and sounding from deep in the cloud a voice. This is my son marked by my love. Focus on the focus of my delight. Listen to him. Wow. The wording. Look at that. This is my son marked by my love. The focus of my delight. How uncomfortable is it for you and I to feel God say that to us? That's going to take some time, all depending where you're at with your emotions and your concept of who God is and how you see yourself. And then Romans 9.25, as indeed it says in Hosea, our small group, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her... Who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Who is her? Anybody remember? What's her name? Gomer. Gomer. What a name. (laughs) Gomer. She was the woman that Hosea was told and instructed to marry. She was a temple prostitute. And God said to Hosea, go marry this woman. And she left him, she abandoned him, she ended up being sold at an auction, he went and bought her. Like, this, this is a, and God was doing this to, with Hosea to show him how much he loved Israel. You guys are, I mean, he's displaying this, like this is for all to see on the stage uh, for all of the Israelites. Here's Gomer, like, she couldn't like herself very much. She was used to, as, as Malcolm Smith was saying, she was used to living from eros. The love, the word love, eros, was the word she only knew. But God was trying to show agape, unconditional agape, through that whole book, worth reading. If you want to see the link uh, to the four-part series, he's teaching it right now. Um, it will blow your mind. It's very intense. Did, Janet, did you get a chance to see that one? No, it's, oh, it's so good. But yeah, it's this idea of be loved, it can be hard. Not all of us want to accept that. Beloved or be loved. Live loved. Act love. Love is one who is loved. That's what beloved is all about. Be loved. And I think that's where some people stop. Because they're not ready to be loved. They know God loves them in the general sense because it's his job. (laughs) But God actually likes you. God's very fond of you. You are the delight of God in his eyes. That's 
like, okay, that's getting pretty intimate. Yeah, it is. This relationship God wants with us is deeper than we've been told. And sometimes we get distracted serving instead of being, be loved. This is an old story you guys have heard before, Mr. Yates. A famous oil field in West Texas, Yates Pool. During the Great Depression of the 1930s, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Ira Yates. How many know the story already? Yes. Because of Yates' inability to make enough money on his ranching operation to make his mortgage payment, he was in danger of losing the ranch. With little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others during the Depression years, had to live on government subsidy. Day after day, Yates would watch his sheep as they grazed over the rolling West Texas hills. He would rack his brain trying to figure out some way to pay all of his bills. One day, a crew of men from an oil company came to the area and convinced Yates there might be oil on his land. They asked permission to drill a wildcat test well, and Yates agreed and signed a lease contract. At 1,115 feet, the drillers struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. What movie or TV show was based on this story? Anybody remember? The Beverly Hillbillies. Yep, take a shotgun, boom. That's how, <laughs> it's hilarious. But anyway, this, this is the true story that show comes from. But that was only the beginning. Many more wells came in, more than twice as productive as the first. What's interesting about the story is when that happened, they weren't ready for such a huge load of oil, and they had to build huge containers to save it there. They had to create pipeline. Their infrastructure was not ready for so much oil. <laughs> How would you like to get blessed with too much and you're not able to handle it? In the 60s, after oil had been pumped for more than 30 years, a government test of just one of the wells showed it, was, it still had potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. In the year 2000, Yates Field was still one of the top 10 producers of oil in the United States. And to think the one-time sheep rancher, Yates, owned it all. When Yates purchased the ranch, he was more interested in grazing land for a sheep than he was in oil and mineral rights. So maybe the thing you're looking at right now, the future, the direction, you, trust God to bring you something, an inspiration, a direction. Maybe you should stop trying yourself, trying so hard to find a new direction. How about rest? Be loved. And let God bring those ideas to you. It's going to surprise you. There he was, living on government subsidy. <laughs> but sitting on a mammoth underground lake of incredibly valuable oil, he was a potential multimillionaire living in poverty. What was his problem? It was simply that he did not know the oil was there. The day he purchased the land, he received the oil and mineral rights. He had it all along. A multimillionaire living in poverty, <laughs> what is the problem? He owned it, but he did not possess it or enjoy its full benefits. It was there. He was unaware. I've got some great news for you. 
This man, Yates, has nothing compared to what you and I can have as heirs of God. We are sitting on a vast reservoir of power and love. All of God's resources are available to us. We have lived like paupers because we did not know our riches in Christ. Do you know who you are? How many times have you tried to become somebody you already are? That's what blew me away. I remember reading a book called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges years ago. I was a teenager and was forced to read it at camp. But it was good at the time. And I was, oh, I want to be holy. I want to understand holy. Yeah, and I read. And that was one of the, probably the most spiritually awakening summers I had as a teen. But even then, I did not know I already was holy. It would take many years later for that revelation to hit me. Grace was present when I didn't even know it. Many years ago, I was at a conference teaching on prayer, and Rod was at this conference. You were at this conference when I got this. Yes. He was in the room. So I'm teaching on prayer, and um, uh, it's the first time I met Rod, but I, did, I wouldn't have remembered. Um, not until... Little did you know the grace was already there. <laughs> But what's cool in this story is I didn't have a watch on, and each, each program uh, session had to be a certain length, and I had to make sure they were out on time. They were really strict about it. So I kept asking, what time is it? What time is it? And then finally, at the end of the first session, I had a gentleman come up to me. His name was Rick. And uh, he said, I feel God told me to give you my watch. That's it, though. That is the watch he gave me. And I thought, okay. So he took off his watch with a bit of a grimace. <laughs> I didn't understand why. But he gave me his watch and I put it on. And I was like, huh, it's nice and light. Hmm, actually, this is kind of cool. And guess what? I was able to know the time for the rest of the conference. It was great. So for the next year or so, I, I was... Uh, uh, doing some gardening, I rented a garden tiller. We had a, a garage that I put a shed on the back, so I'm hammering and nailing and ripping apart stuff, and I'm banging, this thing's getting dirty, and battery dies. So I go to the cheapo place where they replace batteries, and here, can you replace the battery? I said, nope, you gotta take it to a jeweler. I thought, and what I was thinking in my head was, really, are you just trying to not want to do this? Because anybody can do this. Well, I didn't know that that's not true. So I went to a jeweler downtown Elmira, and uh, I said, told him the story, but the other jeweler said he couldn't open it. And then as he's looking it all over, um, I tell him a bit of the story that a guy gave it to me at a conference. And he kind of looked a bit startled. And I caught that and went, why is it, what's it worth? Well, he looked at it and says, well, it's, it's a 14 karat gold. Mavado, great brand. It says Sapphire Crystal. Like, this, this is a really nice watch. At brand new, it was probably worth about $2,500 to $3,000. I've been building a shed and gardening and not taking care of this, this watch. And so the, the jeweler says, so would you like me to clean it up and put a new band on? Yes. I never wore the watch in the garden again. I never wore that watch tilling or building or cleaning or renovation work. Never again. Why? Why do you think I never used, did that again? The value. I suddenly knew its value. 
You have value. And if you don't know it, you're going to live based on the value you think you have. Everybody does. That watch has taught me so much. And I've had a chance to meet Rick. He lives up in Aurelia and owns a clock shop. Imagine that. It's called perfect timing. <laughs> hint, hint, shout out. <laughs> An amazing person. We've had many grace conversations and still do. I will never forget this. I'll never forget my identity. Oh, wait, I have forgotten once in a while. And I got a reminder because I saw the watch. Went, right, we do forget. We can get distracted, be so consumed with our own stuff that we forget our identity. So, so when I got home, Lori looked up to see how much it would sell on eBay. But anyway. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Philippians 2, 12 to 13, New American Standard Bible says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I don't necessarily like that translation very much because it's been mis misused. Uh, the emphasis has been misplaced. Where it says, work out your salvation, it's now been translated, work for your salvation. <laughs> or, work to keep it up. You know, it's, it's up to you to stay forgiven up by your repentance. It's up to you to stay in favor with God by how you act. That's not what this is. Let's hear it in a couple other translations because I think the collage of these multiple translations will reveal a beautiful image. From the New Living Translation, it says, you must be even more careful to put into action God's saving work in your lives, obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. This fear is not the fear that says be afraid. This is the reverence fear. This is the, the awe. Wow. That kind of an awe. Passion translation. You must continue to make this new life fully manifested as you live in the holy awe of God. See, there it is. Which brings you trembling into his presence. God will continually revitalize you. Who will? God will. God does it. Implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. Live a cheerful life without complaining or division among yourselves. Oh, that part. <laughs> Who does this work? It's easy to forget God's the initiator. If you're despairing, feeling down, God's at work in you whether you perceive it or not. It's not the lack of presence, it's the lack of awareness. I love this from the First Nations version. So then, with great respect, you must walk the path creator has given you for being set free and made whole. For the great spirit is creating in you the desire and strength to do what pleases him. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Huh. That's gentle. I love the subtitle that the translators put in there. Wise counsel from a small man. <laughs> in this way, you will show yourselves to be pure and innocent children of the great spirit, 
Even though you walk among a generation of people who live in bent and twisted ways, your reputation will shine as bright as the stars in the night sky as you hold out to them the words of life. In this way, on the day of the chosen one, I can stand tall at the end of the trail. I love that. Knowing that my hard work was not wasted on you. Even if my lifeblood is to be poured out like a ceremonial drink offering in loving service to your faith, my heart is glad and I share my joy with you. Your hearts should also be glad and share the same joy that I have. This is a beautiful way to understand that the writer is saying, look, make my joy complete. (laughs) There's great joy in serving. I I personally have great joy when when I find out that Something I shared was encouraging and actually kind of made someone's day. It does happen once in a while. But I tell you, it's, it, it makes such a difference to help people change their lens. In Ephesians 1.3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. First Nations Version says, all blessings belong to the great spirit who is the father of creator, sets free Jesus. From the spirit world above, he has gifted us with all spiritual blessings found in the chosen one. You lack nothing. God has given you everything you need. I have a hunch the problem is probably us trying to use our human minds of what that can look like or how to live it out. And so we think, well, that must mean I have to do this, or that person has to believe this, or if they believe God, then they're supposed to treat me this way, and then we we create expectations. It's our expectations that will give us trouble, when instead, taking a look at the source of all our blessings— Taking a look at the source of the one who inspires you, gives you the power to do what he wants you to do. Stop looking at everybody else. Stop saying, this person, you should treat me like this because you say you're a Christian, but, and we have this expectation list, and you will disappoint somebody. Almost all the disappointments we have are from failed expectations. Imagine the freedom when you can release those expectations and just focus on the Christ who lives in you. Passion Translation says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. Where does he see us? In Christ. If that's how we're seen, we need to see each other that way too. I've not perfected it, not at all. But that would reduce a lot of arguing and complaining. And remember that verse that said, hey, stop crabbing? (laughs) Yeah, it's our lens. For the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The word revelation here is a revealing. People are praying for a revival. We don't need a revival. Revivals wear off. And that might be kind of a, 
a very extreme pendulum swing for the definition. But the intent, if people say they want a revival, they want people to fall in love with God again. I, I get that. That's wonderful. But a revival is a, usually a hyped up meeting, get everybody to make promises and they commit to something for a little short bit, and then it wears off. It happens all the time. But revelation doesn't wear off. You can't unsee it. When you see yourself as beloved, you can't unsee it. It's from that that we live. First Nations version. I pray the Father of honor and beauty, who is the great spirit of our honored chief creator, sets free, Jesus, will gift you with a spirit of wisdom to know him deeply and understand his mysterious ways. I'm asking him to shine his light into your hearts so you can clearly see the hope he has chosen us for and the beautiful treasure he has in us his holy people. I pray he will show you how much greater his power is for all who put their trust in him. Let's close there. If you can get me to that um, bridge slide at the very end, um, that'd be wonderful. But this is a, oh, I was close. Okay, never mind, I'm gonna go finish. God is love. (laughs) I didn't know it was that far in. (laughs) God is love, God is life, and God is light. And if that's true, then be loved. The three is's that I've come across that God is. Love, life, light. And we've been talking about that for the last couple of years on that. Heavenly Father, will you address the personal stress of each person that's having a hard time right now? Will you just let them know they're loved? like really loved, unabashedly loved, just like when God the Father said, this is my beloved son, marked by my love, whom I'm so proud of. (laughs) I think we got a lot of shame issues that are preventing us from believing that. And for those that can see it and believe it, oh my goodness, that's so exciting. For those who cannot see that, continue the work you're doing in all of our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.